to this week's episode of The Knowing Heart. The title of this week's lecture is Roots. Subtitle, The Way to Produce is Only by Getting Rooted. So, modern day issue. Modern day issue is a simple question. Is there not a more pleasant way? In this week's Haftorah, now I want to just point out a note that there are different customs to Haftorah. Um, uh, there's, there's Sephardic, Ashkenazic, Italian um, traditions that were handed down. So when I say in this week's Haftorah, I just want to point out that this is according to the Ashkenazic tradition. The Sephardic tradition has a different Haftorah for this week. So, according to the Ashkenazic Haftorah, this week <clears throat> begins with Isaiah starting, stating, I'm sorry, stating, Those who came, who Jacob caused to take root, Israel flourished and blossomed, and they filled the face of the world with fruitage. Which is directly connected with the opening verse of our Torah portion, which says, and these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt. What's the connection? The connection is meaning that Jacob caused to take root is specifically talking of Jacob bringing us into exile, into Egypt. And these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt. Okay, what is Isaiah telling us? Isaiah is telling us that by the Israel flourished and blossomed and they filled the face of the world with fruitage is only because Jacob caused to take root, which we now know to mean sons of Israel who came to Egypt, meaning precisely the difficult experiences of exile. So now what Isaiah is telling us that it is only through the fact that we were rooted in exile that we therefore were able to produce fruitage. Hence the question, why? Is there not a more pleasant way to flourish, blossom, and fill the face of the world with fruitage? In this lecture, we will explore the spiritual dimension of producing fruitage, which is the reason for the physical process of producing fruitage as well which is only through burying the seed in the ground and the seeds decomposing there. The lecture is based upon a mimer, a mystical teaching of the Rebbe of Blessed Memory that delivered on this Shabbat in 1970, which explores a teaching of the Alter Rebbe, Rav Shneir Zalman of Liadi, on this week's Torah portion and the Haftorah. Okay. So let's get into the introductions. Number one, Friday, January 8th, 2021, coincides with the 24th day of the Jewish calendar month of Tevet, which is the Yom Hilula, which means the day of passing, the day of the ascent of the soul of Rabbi Shneir Zalman of Liadi, known as the Alter Rebbe, founder of Chabad Lubavitch, in the year 5573, which coincides with the secular year 1812. The Rebbe commemorated this by focusing his mimer on a teaching of the Alter Rebbe and mentioned so in the beginning of, his, of the discourse. So 
besides everything else, the Rebbe is also in this mimer commemorating the life of the Alter Rebbe, his great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, the founder of Chabad Lubavitch. Okay, let's go into the next introduction, understanding the fruitage. What is clear from the story of the Jewish people is, and I quote to you from Deuteronomy, with 70 souls your forefathers descended to Egypt, and now the Lord your God has made us as the stars of heaven in abundance. And because this is an integral part of our story, we recite, we recite this in the Haggadah at our Passover Seder, celebrating the birth of our people, of how in, in Egypt we went from being 70 strong to like the stars in the heaven. The deeper message of the verse is that, and now the Lord your God has made you as the stars of heaven in abundance from a mere with 70 souls is only because of your forefathers descended into Egypt. This too is taught in the very opening of our Torah portion, that immediately after our coming to Egypt, the children, I, I quote you a verse, the children of Israel were fruitful and swarmed and increased and became very, very strong and the land became filled with them. So right in the beginning of our Torah portion, when we begin speaking of the exile of the Jewish people in Egypt, the first thing we mentioned is that as soon as we were rooted into exile, we started producing, reproducing in an unprecedented number and speed. Thus, we are being told over and over again that the mass fruitfulness is only because of our descending into the turmoil and oppression of exile, which demands of us to ask, why? Why does it have to be that way? The next introduction is about Jacob's two names. So Jacob was named at birth Jacob, Yaakov, and only later is his name changed, an additional name, Yisrael, Israel. So, another question to be asked on the opening verse of the Haftorah in Isaiah is why the switch of names? Let's pay careful attention to the verse. Those who came, whom Jacob caused to take root, Israel flourished and blossomed, and they filled the face of the world with fruitage. So Isaiah switches the name. He starts off with talking about Jacob, and then in the same verse, he refers to us as Israel. And this can't be because the opening speaks of being in exile, hence the, low, the lower name of Jacob, because the word Jacob is from the word akev, which means heal. And only in the prosperity does he, the verse, use the name Yisrael, from the words li rosh unto me ahead, a sign of prosperity, because why can't we say that? That seems to be a beautiful answer. Because in the Torah's in the Torah portions verse, it states, and these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt. Hence, you see that the verse uses the name Israel when talking about our descending into exile, Egypt. Thus. We must say that Isaiah would have followed the same path. So we cannot say that he uses the name Jacob because he's talking about being rooted 
being in exile because the verse doesn't do that. It uses the name Israel. Even more so, being that the opening of the verse, brooded, Jacob, is the cause of the second half of the verse, fruitful Israel, hence we must say according to mystical teachings, that there is an overwhelming advantage to the name Jacob over the name Israel, which is why specifically only through the experience of Jacob can we reach any higher dimension of Israel and fruitage. And so too we find in the mystical teaching upon the verse, and here's another verse from Isaiah, not from the Haftorah, different chapter, and now so said the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and the one who formed you, O Israel. Interesting. So here again, Isaiah uses both names, Jacob and Israel. When he talks about creating, he uses the word Jacob. When he talks about forming, he talks about the word Israel. Now that is interesting. Why? Because in the realm of the spiritual worlds, the world of creation, Olam Habria, is higher than the world of formation, Olam Yitzira. And this is practically understood since creation means creatio ex nihilo, as it says, as the words in Latin, which means something out of nothing, while formation means creating something, forming, not creating, forming something out of something. Hence, in our prayers, in the blessing of the Shema, we state, and I quote, He forms light and creates darkness. Why? For in the realm of divinity, light is a lower level of only expression and revelation, while darkness is a transcendence beyond expression and revelation. Rather, it speaks of the essence, as in the verse, I quote to you from the book of Psalms, he made darkness his essence, his hiding place about him. Hence, we see that the world of creation is higher than the world of formation. Now we understand that Isaiah uses the name Jacob when it talks about the higher realm of creation and uses the name Israel when he talks about the lower realm of formation. Hence, once again, we see that the name Jacob has an advantage, an extreme advantage, over the name of Israel. Now, how can this be that Jacob is the name of advantage over the name of Israel? Let's talk about the origin of the names. The name Jacob was given because of, I quote to you, the verse that speaks of his birth and naming in Genesis, and his, Jacob's, hand was grasping Esau, the older twin's, heel. And he named him, Isaac named him Jacob. Why? The word Yaakov comes from the root Okave, which means heel. Even more so, the name Jacob presents a spiritual state in which Jacob can descend into the corrupt ways of Esau. As the verse states, after Jacob stole the blessing from Esau by tricking his father, and Esau asks his father, and I quote, And he, Esau, said to Isaac, Is it for this reason that he was named Jacob, Yaakov, 
For he, Jacob, has deceived me twice. Now the word deceived is via'akvuni, like tripping with the heel. Hence we see that the name Jacob represents us being in a lower state, not in a state of advantage. While on the other hand, the name Israel, Yisrael, is because of, let's look in the verse to see why he was given the name Israel. I quote you from the verse in Genesis, after he won his fight with the angel of Esau, and the angel said, and he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. Here's the reason. Because you have commanded power, Hebrew, Shariso, with an angel of God, Kel, Sharisa Kel, Yisrael, and with men, and you have prevailed. Hence, the name Israel is not only of Jacob ascending and commanding power of Esau, but even over the angel of Esau. So obviously Israel is the name of advantage. Thus, how can we accord such advantage to the name Jacob over the name Israel, implying that only through Jacob does Israel receive such fruitage? What is Isaiah telling us? Okay, let us begin the lecture. As always, I'm going to begin by listing the mystical concepts we're going to discuss before we come around back to the modern day issue and see how this practically can change our lives. Number one, understanding the process of rooting physically. Number two, understanding the process of rooting spiritually. Number three, Jew over Torah. Number four, only when rooted. And then finally, number five, only in Egypt. And let the amazement of Hasidus begin. Understanding the process of rooting physically. Let us understand this by first looking into the physical process of rooting, which is like planting, from which grows a magnitude of produce. When it comes to planting, we use seeds, which in themselves have no taste fragrance and are in themselves not food well let's just you know point out that if we were to plant the actual flesh of the fruit the food nothing would grow so it's specifically from the seed which is not food which has no taste which has no fragrance from which will come an unprecedented amount of fruitage which is food with taste, with smell. And nevertheless, from this seed comes forth food of edible fruits and vegetables. Now the same is with grains, that even though the seeds itself is edible food, nevertheless, two interesting properties. Number one, the amount of produce brought about by one seed is an incomparable, exponentially greater quantity, and more importantly, a second property, the seed of grain can only begin producing after it is three days in the ground in which it decomposes, becoming completely a seed no more. Now, what we see here is that the produce is completely incomparable 
both in quality and quantity, to the seed from which it is produced. And that this, hap and that this happens only through the seed becoming planted in the ground, rooted. And now let us see how this manifests itself spiritually. So, understanding the process of produce on a spiritual level. Spiritually, this applies to the Jewish people and to the Torah as well. Concerning the Jewish people, the verse states in Jeremiah, Israel is holy to the Lord, the first of his grain. Reshit tevuato. And concerning the Torah, it is applied because everything that exists in the physical world exists in the Torah. As our sages teach us, and I quote you from the Holy Zohar, And when the Holy One created the world, He looked into the Torah and created the world. With the Torah, He created the world, as it was established. For it is stated in the book of Proverbs, I was a nursling, which means an oman. Beside him, the eye is the Torah. And our sages tell us, read not Oman, but Uman, a craftsman, the tool which God used to create the world. Hence, everything that's in the Torah, everything that's in the world is in the Torah. So, how does this apply itself, this process of rooting produce? The way it manifests itself in the Jewish people and the Torah is that the seed, which has no taste and fragrance, represents the service of obedience, dry obedience, which is a sincerer and more complete service, unlike the fruit itself, which has taste and fragrance. That represents a service of intellectual and emotional appreciation, which by definition is limited to one's intellectual and emotional capacity. Generally speaking, Within Torah study and mitzvot observance, the service of obedience is that of mitzvah observance, while the service of intellectual and emotional appreciation is that of Torah study. Hence, concerning Torah study, specifically the study of the oral law, the law is that if one doesn't understand what he is reading, he doesn't have an intellectual, emotional appreciation, he did not study the Torah, and he may not recite the blessing of Torah study over such a reading. It has to be intellectually and emotionally appreciated. However, concerning mitzvot observance, the blessing made is specifically Asher Kiddishanu b'mitzvotav v'tzivanu, who sanctified us and commanded us which means that it is all about our obedience to what God commanded us to do. And even those commandments that we do understand and appreciate its reasoning, we must nevertheless observe the commandment not because of its reason, but simply because God commanded us to do this. Now here's an interesting law that backs this. The law of our sages is, in the Talmud, in Tractic Brachot, and I quote, One who recites in his supplication, and he says, Just as you, your mercy is extended to a bird's nest. What does that mean? That means that God has commanded us in Deuteronomy 
to send away the mother bird before taking her chicks or eggs. That's an act of mercy. So we're going to say, when we talk about how great God's compassion is, the person will say in his prayers, your mercy is extended to a bird's nest. The law is, they silence him. And the Talmud says, why? Why do they silence him? Because he transforms the mitzvot of the Holy One, blessed be he, into expressions of mercy when they are nothing but decrees of the king that must be fulfilled without inquiring into the reason behind them. Hence, we clearly see the Talmud is telling us that the service of mitzvot, even the ones that make sense and we appreciate, nevertheless, our service, our observance of them needs to be one of obedience. Why am I doing this? Because God said so. Now, that was in general that Torah is the fruit. Torah is that which has the taste, the fragrance, which is the intellectual and emotional appreciation. And mitzvot observance is the seed, that of obedience. No taste, no smell. Now let's take it a step further in being more particular that within Torah study itself, there is both. Let us see. That was in general and how we divide the service of obedience versus of intellectual, emotional appreciation, appreciation to be between Torah study and mitzvot observance. Now, for Torah study must be done with a, let, let's take it further, on a more particular level, Within Torah study itself, there needs to be also the servants of obedience. It's not just about intellectual and emotional appreciation. For the Torah study must be done with a fear of God. We need to learn Torah with Yirat Shamayim. As was stated at Mount Sinai, when we received and accepted the Torah, we said, and they said, I quote you the verse in Exodus, all that the Lord spoke, we will do obedience, and we will hear, intellectually understand, and appreciate. Hence, we see not only are we committing to do the Torah with obedience, do, and with intellectual, emotional appreciation, hear, but we even set precedence that the foundation is the na'aseh, the obedience. And it is only precisely through this form of Torah study, steeped and in and founded upon obedience, that we can merit to understand the true meaning of the Torah, just as all the produce comes specifically through the tasteless and fragrant list, represent, representing that this is the service of obedience, the seed. So even the study of Torah, for the human finite mind to truly be able to align and understand the divine, infinite wisdom and will of God, it can only be by studying with a humility, a fear of God, and an, and an, and an obedience. Hence our sages teach, and I'm going to quote to you an interesting teaching from the Talmud. Upon the verse in Proverbs, the verse in Proverbs, King Solomon says, the innocence of the upright leads them. Now here's a story as I quoted to you from the Talmud. A heretic saw that Rava, famous sage from the Talmud, was immersed in studying the Jewish law. He was sitting on his fingers 
and he didn't really realize that as his fingers were beneath his legs and he was squeezing them, that his fingers were spurting blood. Rabbi didn't notice. He was so engrossed in his studying. Now the heretic said to Rava, You impulsive nation who accorded precedence to your mouths over your ears, you still bear your impulsiveness as you act without thinking. You should listen first. Then, if you are capable of fulfilling the commandments, you accept them. And if not, do not accept them. That's what the heretic said to Rava. Rava responds to him. Again, he quotes you. He said to him, About us who proceed wholeheartedly with integrity and obedience, it is written, the integrity of the upright will guide them. Whereas about those people who walk in deceit, it is written at the end of the very same verse, and the perversiveness of the faithless, only relying on intellect, the perverseness of the faithless will destroy them. Hence you see clearly the Talmud said, of course we need to understand intellectually and emotionally but what leads us to align ourselves to understand the infinite wisdom and will of God is specifically the integrity of our obedience, our faith, with which we learn Torah, fear of heaven. Now we understand why the verse in Isaiah talks of the rooting specifically with the name Jacob, which is the name that has the advantage over and is the reason for bringing about fruitage to Israel. Why? For as we explained, Jacob represents the heel, Akev, Yaakov, Akev, which represents the integrity service of obedience, which is precisely the only type of service, hence in mitzvah observant, and hence in Torah study, that brings forth incomparable quantity and quality of produce. And so too we understand that it is through being rooted in Egypt in which we descend into the service of obedience in the opaque environment of exile that we bring out within ourselves the deeper fruitage as the verse states i quote you from exodus when you take the people out of egypt you will worship god on this mountain hence it is only through first descending into egypt that the Jewish people became prepared for that when they leave Egypt to receive the Torah from God at Mount Sinai. Hence, through the rooting of Jacob in Egypt, we become the Israel that accepts and receives and connects with the Torah from God. Now, let's go to the next interesting concept, Jew over Torah. What is this saying? Let us now take a far deeper and more mystical look into why it is that it is only specifically through the, let's go back to the verse, whom Jacob caused to take root, that we have Israel flourished and blossomed and they filled the face of the world with fruitage. Let's take a deeper look into this. Let us explore the teaching of the Alter Rebbe. It says as follows, upon the 
upon that which the verse states specifically concerning the soul. Let's go back to Genesis in when the verses describes the creation of Adam. First God formed his body, and then what happened with the soul? I quote, And he breathed into his nostrils a soul of life. God breathed into the nostrils of Adam a soul of life. Now, let's be, let's be specific here. All other creations were brought about not and God breathed, but the verse continuously says, and God said, let there be light. And God said, and God said. There's the utterances, the ten utterances. So all other creations were brought about through speech. While the soul comes from the dimension of breathed of God. Now, why? The Zohar explains. Upon this, the Zohar states that he who blows, blows from within him. Upon which the Alter Rebbe explains this Zohar to mean in Tanya, in this uh, founding book of Tanya, the founding book of Chabad philosophy. And I quote to you, that is to say, that means when he says breathe, and the Zohar says that he who breathes blows from within him, that means to say from his inwardness and his innermost being, for it is of his inward and innermost vitality that a man emits through blowing with force. So even when we talk, air comes out. However, when we breathe, we're talking about... <gasps> By the way, parenthetically speaking, out of my notes, just share with you a personal experience. Um, many years ago, I had to take a lung capacity test, and you do it by blowing into this machine. Interestingly enough, the doctor right away told me, and now sit down, because you're going to be dizzy. And I reminded myself of this teaching of the Zohar and the Alter Rebbe. I can talk for hours and not get dizzy. But to breathe and to blow out from our innermost we're giving out essence, we get dizzy, and we need to kind of rejuvenate, re recompose ourselves. So let's go further. The meaning behind this teaching is that while all of creation is from the external breath of the speech of God, which is processed through the great symptom, that's the Hebrew word for contraction, of creation. However, the soul is not through the process of creation. Rather, I quote to you from Tanya, once again, chapter 2, truly a peace of God above. Not a ray, not an expression, not a revelation, a peace of God. Hence, the verse says, and he breathed, which the Alter Rebbe explains as from his innermost, inward vitality. So too, the Torah is primordial. Okay, so we just finished explaining that the soul, the soul is primordial. It comes from pre-tzimtzum, from the essence. How about Torah? Let's see that the Torah is also primordial and was not processed through the great tzimtzum. As our sages teach us, I quote you from a medrash, and it says as follows. I'm going to quote and read. In the beginning of God's creating, and then it goes on further and it says, seven things were prece preceded the creation of the world. Seven things were primordial. I just do want to point out to you that in the text of the Medrash that we have, it says six. However, it's being quoted as seven by our Rebbe's 
because in its the Talmud in Tractic Pesachim, it clearly says seven and it lists seven. Now, let's go back to what we need to know. And among them, these seven is listed the Jew and the Torah. There's other five things, but there's the Jew and the Torah. However, which of these two primordial beings, the Torah and the Jew, which is first? Concerning this, our sages continue on in this teaching. And I quote to you, Rabbi Huna, famous sage, and Rabbi Jeremiah, famous sage. On behalf of Rabbi Shmuel bar Rabbi Yitzchak, Rabbi Shmuel, the son of Rabbi Yitzchak, another famous sage, said, and now let's quote it, the thought of God's thought, of hence the existence of Israel, God's thought of Israel, which brought Israel into existence, the soul, preceded all. And the teaching goes on to prove it. And how do you prove it? Because within the Torah, it states, speak to the children of Israel and command the children of Israel, which means that by the time the Torah is written, Israel, the Jewish people, the soul already exists. Hence, we know that the Jew is before the Torah, even though they're both primordial, they're also both pre-Tzimtzum, and they both are not processed by Tzimtzum. However, amongst the two, Israel, the soul, is even higher than the Torah. That's what it means on a Kabbalistic level, before, after, that doesn't exist. When we say before and after, we mean higher and lower. Now, let us understand this. How can it be the Jew is the soul is higher than the Torah? Let's see. The Torah is the wisdom of God. The wisdom which houses the infinite light. The verse I actually said it means it's referring to our wisdom. But the Torah is the wisdom of God, which houses the infinite light. Even higher yet, the Torah is the will of God. It's not just the wisdom of God. It's the will of God telling us what God wants. Of which we are taught that will is higher and closer to the essence of God than wisdom. Nevertheless, the will of God is not the essence of God. And there has to be a concealment of the omnipotent essence of God in order for there to be able to come forth a will of God. Within the essence, there is just simplicity. There's no wanting, there's no thinking, there just is. In order to have a want, there has to first be a concealment of the essence. On a most practical level, when we talk about wanting something, wanting would mean that there is something I don't have and I want. How does that apply to God? What does it mean the will of God? And even more so, hence we find that there are changes in the will of God. If the will of God can change, then it's not God. Because God doesn't change. The essence of God is. It is everything. There's nothing to change from to change to. So the fact that we see that in our prayers, we speak about changing God's will. Hence, we know that the will of God is not the essence of God. And therefore, in our prayer, we say, Yehi Ratzon, may it be the will. For example, we pray that so-and-so, who is presently, unfortunately, God protect us, sick, which means it's the will of God. He should be sick right now. We pray that the will of God change, that so-and-so should be healthy. 
May God will that he should be healthy, and then he will be healthy. Thus we have a change in will. Another interesting thing. We find that we can create a spirit. And I want to quote to you from the verse in, Gen in Numbers. It says over there, a spirit of satisfaction to the Lord. Nachat ruach. Now, what is that satisfaction? So Rashi comments that I spoke and my will was carried out, which in itself needs to be understood for wanting is based on lacking. That means God wants us to do something that wasn't there prior and now he wants us to do it and hence it will be there. Hence God will have a spirit of satisfaction within his will that he said and we did. Now, what does that mean? Hence, when speaking of the will of God, we are not speaking of the essence of God in which everything exists and there is no lacking. It is only in the light of God, light, revelation, expression, that we, the, the, the will exists. And by definition, light, illumination, revelation, expression is not essence. And even more so, in order for any specific revelation existence of light to be able to exist, there first needs to be a contraction and a concealment of the essence, so to speak. You can never have a contraction of the essence. But only when the essence allows itself to hide can there be any existence of a revelation of light. Hence, even the primordial Torah, which the will and the wisdom of God is a primordial light. Wisdom, will, light, and not the essence. By the way, I just bring a footnote, which is our sages tell us that before the creation, there was he and his name. And name is defined in Kabbalah as or, light, infinite light, and defined as ratzon, will. So you see that primordially there was the essence and there was the light. Torah, as a primordial being, is the primordial being of light. Now, the will of God concerning the Torah is that through our carrying out God's will in the physical world with physical objects, remember the angels fought with Moses? Why? Why are you giving the earth, the, the, your Torah to the earth, uh, people in, imperfect, full of faults? Why don't you give it to the perfect angels? And God said no. God told Moses to answer. And the point is that God wants the Torah not to be spiritual. He wants the Torah to be in the physical world, done with physical, physical um, objects. We refine and elevate the fallen sparks. I have a link in my notes, which I'm going to post in the description that uh, explains what the fallen sparks are and transforms the physical jungle into the ultimate abode of God. And this service of refinement is through the wisdom of God, Torah, as it is stated, again quote from the Holy Zohar, and with wisdom are they extracted, elevated. And wisdom is connected to will, as wisdom is the evolution of will. What does that mean? in order to be able to figure out how to fulfill the will. Hence, even though the Torah is the primordial and is of the highest order, the will of God, which is completely one with God, nevertheless, it is not the essence of God. It is a mission. Now, 
not so concerning the Jew, the soul, the godly soul which God breathed into his nostrils, of which we quoted the Zohar, he who blows, blows from within him, which is defined as by the Alter Rebbe, that is to say, from his inwardness and his innermost being. Thus we quoted the Tanya, defining the godly soul as truly a peace, innermost, inward, essence of God above. Not an infinite light of God, but rather truly a peace of God himself, meaning a peace of the essence of God. What we now understand is that the godly soul of the Jew is even higher than the Torah, and that it is through the Torah that the Jew then fulfills the will of God of the service of refinement, which creates the, as I said before, a spirit of satisfaction to the Lord that I spoke and my will was carried out. So we have over here an interesting concept. The tool through which we can do it is the Torah, the will of God, the wisdom of God. But the person who can do it is the soul, the essence. The essence, a piece of the essence here through the light, the infinite light, the Torah can bring about the fulfillment of God's will to transform this opaque jungle into a beautiful, transparent abode for God. However, what we don't understand yet is, why is it that Israel needs to be rooted in Egypt and all other exiles that are called Egypt in order for, to fulfill the will of God that through the Jew living the Torah life to be able to happen? What would be wrong with doing the Torah and mitzvot in the beautiful King Solomon days? No exile, no suffering, total full moon, which Kabbalistically means full revelation of the sovereignty of God. So we go to the next concept, only when rooted. To understand this, let us understand the emphasis upon, and he, God, breathed into his nostrils a soul of life. We quoted previously from the Tanya, and again I want to quote it, that is to say from his inwardness and his inward and innermost being, for it is his inward and innermost vitality that a man emits through blowing with force. So previously when I quoted this, we were focusing on the words inwardmost, inner. Now I want to pay attention to the emphasis of with force. The emphasis here is that the breathe of the of the the breathe of is of normal breathing, but is not of normal breathing, but rather to breathe out with force to blow. And in order to understand this emphasis, why the with force? The Alter Rebbe goes on in the teaching to explain with a metaphor. In the teachings of Kabbalah and Hasidus, we speak of two forms of light: the direct light and the rebound light, or Yashar and or Chozer. Now, the direct light is the light that shines from above to below. For example, the simple shine of sunlight from the sun upon the earth. The rebound light is when the sunlight rebounds off the earth, shining back upward. This is the reason, by the way, just a little bit of science. This is the reason why the lower atmosphere 
upon earth is warmer than the middle atmosphere of earth. So you have the lower atmosphere, the middle atmosphere, the higher atmosphere. Interesting enough, the lower atmosphere is warmer than the higher atmosphere, as you know. Now, the middle atmosphere. Now, the reason is it shouldn't be that way. The middle is closer to the sun, hence should be warmer. But the answer is because specifically the lower atmosphere receives the double dose, the direct light and the most powerful part of the rebound light. While when the rebound light gets to the middle atmosphere, it has already weakened and cooled off. Now we understand the power of the rebound light. Simply see how a ball bounces off a wall when thrown forcefully, in which the stronger the force with which the ball is thrown, the stronger the force and reach of the rebound. So too it is with the teachings upon the infinite light of God, in which the rebound light has a deeper reach and higher definition than that of the direct light. So now we understand that the rebound, that which comes from beneath, from here up to God, is even greater than the shine, the light that comes from above, the infinite light shining down upon us. Now let us return to the emphasis of he breathed a soul of light into his nostrils, meaning specifically with force. The essence of God, truly a piece of God above, is specifically actualized only when the soul is breathed with force into the lower the lo force into the lower realm of creation being the physical world into a physical body which is an egypt a mitraim a constraint an oppression upon the soul an exile experience for the godly soul as it is now being constrained and under the oppression of the opaqueness of the body's needs and drives and of the rat race self-centered paradigm of civilizations in other words the soul's being a piece of the essence of god is henceforth only experience not when it's in heaven but when it is rooted within the realm of the Egypt blockage and challenges in which the godly soul, the godly soul, Israel, head, God conscious, love and awe, must, because it's in a state of exile, it must embody its lower dimension of Jacob, heal, no spiritual feelings or consciousness, service of dry obedience. And it is only through this that the soul can then, only through this, meaning only through getting rooted into Egypt, being blown with force, embedded within the exile, that the Israel flourished and blossomed and they filled the face of the world with fruitage. Because only there where we have the full impact of God breathed with force can we then bring about the fruitage, the power of the rebound light by overcoming the blockages and the struggles of exile, reaching into the soul's core being, truly a peace, essence of God above. In closing, becoming a hero. 
In closing, Bob Riley, the 52nd governor of Alabama, said, and I quote to you, it is during the hard times when the hero within us is revealed. And with this quote, quote, let us return to the opening modern day practical issue that we set out to understand. Is there not a more pleasant way? Yes, there most definitely is a more pleasant way, which is the way of the direct light, living but in the blissfulness of serving God on Easy Street. However, without being rooted in Egypt, we would never be able to fully experience who we are, truly a piece of God Himself. His very essence blesses us with the heart away. That's why God does that, so that we may become the truest heroes of God's story. Thank you.